What's up, cool cats and cuties? This is the Promenade Merchants Podcast, a Star Trek podcast out on the frontier. So sit down and grab a rock to Gino as David Majors and Heather Kirby talk all things Star Trek. Old, new, and what's to come. The Promenade Merchants are open for business. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Promenade Merchants Podcast, your cool, scrappy underdog Star Trek podcast, featuring a couple of cool, scrappy underdogs ourselves. I'm David Majors. I am joined by my fantastic co-host, Miss Heather Kirby. What's up, Heather? What is up, David? You know, my two uh, uh, unofficial co-hosts are joining me today since I'm recording this from my cell phone. And they would like to know if we could come up with a cat version of the term underdogs because they don't appreciate me calling myself an underdog. They, they think we need to find a cat version for that. <laughs> I'm going to leave that to the cat person on this podcast. <laughs> And you can get I'll, back to me. <laughs> I'll think of something. I'll have something by the next time we record. Cool. Awesome. Uh, but as always, this is an independent Star Trek podcast. We talk about Star Trek here. And Heather, and I love saying this every episode I can, we got a lot of Star Trek to talk about. And we got a lot of new Star Trek to talk about, don't we? Yes. And you know, I am super excited. I don't know how many times I was like screaming in your DMs this week. I'm so pumped to talk about all this new Star Trek. Uh, and, and our old business too. I'm a little pumped to talk about that, but we'll get there. We'll get there. We will get there right now. For new listeners of the show, first of all, thank you. Welcome. I'm David. That's Heather. Please sit down, relax, order a rack to Gino. Play a game with Dabo. Tell Lita I said hi. Relax. Enjoy yourself. Our podcast has a little bit of a format. We start with old business where we cover the classic Star Trek, everything up to the Kelvin movies, I suppose, which we are going to talk about a little bit, uh, going all the way back to The Cage, even. Uh, the new business is what's happening in Star Trek right now, and boy, howdy. Do we have a lot of Star Trek happening right now? And later on in the pod, we will talk a little bit about upcoming business when we look beyond, if you will, in Star Trek. And there's a lot to look forward to in the future, everybody. So let's just get old business started. Uh, Heather, this one was yours. So I'm going to let you take the con. Miss Kirby, you have the con. This was my idea. So we have talked about multiple, at least a couple different times about our guilty pleasure episodes of Star Trek. So I decided and I chose this for a very specific reason that we, for old business today, would talk about our guilty pleasure movies. Now, when most Star Trek fans look at the 13 Star Trek films that we've had across three different main cast. Um, there are some that are considered classically great and there's some that are considered always fall at the bottom of people's lists. We'll put it that way. <laughs> so when I'm talking guilty pleasure movies, if picking one of those movies that typically falls at the bottom of people's lists and why you like that movie. Now, I came up with this topic for a very specific reason. For anyone who follows me on Twitter, they know that besides being a Star Trek fan, a science fiction fan, a Marvel fan, a Star Wars fan, SVU fan, all of that stuff, I am in particularly a huge fan of Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> so my guilty pleasure movie pick... Best known for his work as Dormammu. Yes. My guilty pleasure movie pick comes in the form of the Kelvin movie, the much maligned middle child of the Kelvin universe, uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. I, and it's not just because I love Benedict Cumberbatch, okay? <laughs> I do love Star Trek Into Darkness, and I'm going to tell you why right here, David. 
it's because when I first watched this movie, um, I knew of the character of Khan and I knew like as a Star Trek fan in general, I knew kind of the plot of the wrath of Khan, but I don't believe I had ever actually seen the movie before, before I watched Star Trek into darkness. And so watching it actually inspired me to go back and watch the wrath of Khan, the search for Spock and the voyage home. So, as much as people like to blind it that it's just a really bad version remake of The Wrath of Khan, um, I think, especially because it inspired me to go back and watch the original movies, that it definitely had to have had that impact on some younger viewers who had never seen those before and hopefully went back and watched the original movies after seeing this. Now, the one thing I will apologize for, because you got to feel guilty about something, is like I mentioned, I love Benedict Cumberbatch. And I love his performance as the villain uh, antagonist in this movie. However, I will admit that he should have not actually been playing Khan Noonien Singh. Because, yeah, that. He should have just been an augment named John Harrison as he was at the start of the movie. And it wouldn't have had the same impact, but it would have had a better a better casting impact that they did not cast a very white, very British man as Khan. Um, so I will go as so far as to say that, yeah, that was a bad casting choice. However, he played the role of a crazy, determined, intelligent, augmented villain very, very well. And um, I have a lot of love for this movie, even though there's a lot of people out there that don't. Heather, I don't have a problem with anything you said. (laughs) I think you made a fantastic point about the fact that you watch Star Trek Into Darkness And it influenced you to check out the older Star Trek movies. And I talked about Into Darkness when I was on Confer Culture with Chris Murphy. I I actually had it ranked number 15 uh, as as the the worst. we, We both ranked it as the worst. But the fact that you said that is something that I brought up on the podcast is that I expected that there would be people that would have watched Star Trek Into Darkness and would have been curious about The Wrath of Khan, which is so highly regarded and highly praised. And that probably would have been a a good gateway entry point into the Star Trek franchise. So in that regard, I have no problem with it. I have no problem with it at all. I do think that what you said about Benedict Cumberbatch being cast is valid. However, I think that they probably made the decision to go with a name that is popular within certain audiences. This is a science fiction movie. This is niche, this is niche media. And this is just me being cynical. It worked. It worked. The movie well, generated a half a million dollars in the box office. It worked. Okay. Could they have found someone else? Absolutely. I'm not disagreeing with you there. It was a cynical move to cast him as Khan Noonien Singh instead of just going with something else. Now, but it here's, here's Here's my argument to that. When... Star Trek Into Darkness came out because I've heard that argument before. But my my feeling about that is when Star Trek Into Darkness came out, Cumberbatch had never done a blockbuster movie before. That was Sherlock Sherlock was pretty big though. Sherlock was everywhere. Sherlock was was a TV show. But it was everywhere. I I get that, but it was a TV show. He had never done a blockbuster action movie like that before. He has done plenty since, because he did Lord of the Rings after that. 
He did Doctor Strange after that. So he has done plenty since, but he has never done a blockbuster action movie before he was cast in Star Trek. So I really don't believe, as much as supposedly J.J. Abrams wanted to work with him and that's why they cast him, I don't believe he was cast due to name recognition. Because if you were going to cast a person in that role due to name recognition, you would have cast someone who had been in a blockbuster action movie before. I see where you're coming from. But I also think that they probably also cast Benedict Cumberbatch with a very specific audience in mind. And I think that as cynical as it might be, I don't think they're entirely unjustified in making that choice. In retrospect, it wasn't the best decision to make, but I know what they were going with to get Sherlock to be in the big Star Trek movie to play the bad guy. Like, I, I understand the point of view. J.J. Uh, Abrams probably wanted to work with him. Sure, that's fine. But having that built-in kind of niche sci-fi audience that loves Benedict Cumberbatch probably didn't hurt either. Yeah, but I think it hurt them in the long run. Because, I, I, I mean, we could talk about the, the multiple flaws as to why Star Trek Beyond didn't do the numbers as the first two movies did. Oh, we could. Um, but I, I, I do think that some of the fallout from ultimately what the movie Into Darkness was had an impact on the, the amount of people that went out to see Star Trek Beyond. Besides, like, the the marketing issues and the promotion issues that they had with it. So, ultimately, I... it worked for what they wanted for that movie. But in the long run, it hurt their franchise by doing it. And, like I said, I say this as a fan and as loving his performance in the movie. But because of the many issues it raised, because they had him playing con um i think it ultimately hurt them in the long run i i do agree i agree with all of that uh i guess it's my turn now and i i said that this was a movie this was a star trek movie that i consider my guilty pleasure that i know is not very high on a lot of star trek fans lists and that is star trek 5 what I like to call the Cybot Chronicles, a.k.a. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. As I said on Confer Culture, I heart Cybok. I think he is an extremely fascinating character, especially within the context of being a Vulcan, and especially within the context of being Spock's, not just Spock's brother, but Sarek's son, because, man, there's so much with Sarek. There is so much. <laughs> and just another son of his that he just cannot keep from going way off in his own direction. And Cybok allowing his emotions to guide him more than his Vulcan logic. In my opinion, within the context of the Star Trek franchise, was an absolute stroke of brilliance. And I think Lawrence Luckinbill played him very well, because you always hear uh, with Vulcans is that how they are not completely without emotion, their emotions are suppressed because their emotions are so much more extreme than what you might imagine. But in the case of Cybok, even he manages to keep himself in some level of emotional control, just not on the same level as other Vulcans. And he is on this really interesting journey and quest of his own to find, quote unquote, God somewhere in the universe, because 
he, like his brother, is an explorer, is curious, is fascinated, if you will, by the mysteries of the universe. He just has a different way of going about it. And he manages to attract people around him to go along with him to the point where the Enterprise has to follow along. And he manages to tap into Kirk, Spock, and McCoy and their history and what drives them. And I found all of this character study in Star Trek V to just be really, really good. I enjoyed the character study in Star Trek V probably a lot more than most. I think the the actual story and the script actually really good say what you will about William Shatner directing <laughs> I think it all worked out a lot better than people realize or, or maybe it's just because Heather <clears throat> I don't always like Vulcans very much and seeing one that was different was actually pretty cool I mean yeah I, I, I agree with a lot of that I think one of the reasons why Star Trek V probably ends up down on the bottom of people's list is because it's more of a character story. It's not really a pow-pow science fiction movie. It is more of a it's a it's a character study. It's a two-hour-long character study of all these characters that we have grown to know and love. And if you don't understand that or respect that, you're not going to have the same feelings for it as someone who does. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with all of that. Now, my question for you is this, because, I mean, we now have uh, a new Sarek and Amanda that have been cast in our current shows. Yes, and the we answer have is Spock. yes. <laughs> the answer so is yes. You want to see Cybok. Do you have a picture in your head as to who would play Cybok? Oh, that's interesting. That's that's a good one. Um, I had not thought about that because I really couldn't say. I'm just going to throw a name out there just to put it into the ether and get people uh, talking and I'm not even saying this all that seriously. How about Oscar Isaac? Oh, that would be interesting. All right. I'll just throw that one out there just because it was the first one that came to mind. Oscar Isaac. Yes, I would absolutely love to see whether it's in Strange New Worlds or somehow in Discovery or somewhere else. To see Cybok somehow make his way back into the franchise. I thought he was just the most interesting character. Uh, in contrast to Spock. And in contrast to so many other Vulcans who struggle with controlling and repressing their emotions. Whereas Cybok is, in a way more in control of his emotions than most other Vulcans because he allows his emotions to be a part of who he is, but they are not completely out of his control. And it's, it, he was always just a really fascinating character to me. And he really made that movie for me. It, it really would not have worked without him at all. In my opinion. Very true. Very true. All right. Now that we have everybody canceling us and coming after <laughs> us. <laughs> but that's okay. I like that. That's fun for me. Uh, let's move in to new business, Heather. Right now, we are deep into season two of Star Trek Lower Decks. And I don't know about you, Heather, but I am seeing so much positivity and so many high marks and such high praise for Lower Decks Season 2. And it is just really, really exciting. I'm enjoying Lower Decks Season 2. 
you're enjoying Lower Deck Season 2, and it seems like just about everybody is enjoying Lower Deck Season 2. That's what I'm seeing, Heather, at least. You know, for, for the most part, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it. I mean, there's still some people out there that find issues with things. But, you know, I think for the most part, people are enjoying it. And it's, I would go so far as to say it's really because you can tell in these first three episodes that we've gotten so far that they're really leaning into just being a love letter to Star Trek and just showing how much they love the universe as a whole and the amount of Easter eggs and references we've gotten in these first three episodes of season two. Uh, We definitely didn't have this many at this point in season one. So they're just going all in on this and their love for Star Trek is really showing and it is more than just references. The actors are all very funny. Uh, I think Tawny Newsom really shines when she's allowed to improvise uh, as Ensign Mariner. I think Jack Quaid as Brad Boimler has shown some crazy emotional range. Uh, I think Tendi and Rutherford have some really good character arcs that are starting to grow. And, hey, linear storytelling in a Star Trek series. How about that? What a concept. And I love that we are starting to see more and more of the crew of the Cerritos as Season 2 grows on. We're seeing Jet. We're seeing Lieutenant Kayshawn, who we're going to talk about in a minute. Jennifer is still there. <laughs> and, I, and I love her, no matter what. Uh, we we see the bridge crew. We see Shax come back, which we'll talk about in a minute. <laughs> and yeah, I, I just think Lower Decks is really firing on all cylinders. So let us get into episodes two and three so far of season two. Uh, starting off with Kayshawn, his eyes open. Uh, the Lower Deckers welcome Lieutenant Kayshawn, the first Tamarian in Starfleet. The Tamarians are from the episode Darmok, I think that's what it's called, where Captain Picard is stranded on a planet where he has to ch- communicate with the Tamarians with their unique metaphorical language. And Lieutenant Kayshawn is making his way into acclimating with the Cerritos. Ensign Mariner also kind of butts heads with uh, Lieutenant Jet Manifer, who, who has kind of made his way into the gang with the Lower Deckers, but not really. Mariner still really misses Boimler a lot. Uh, meanwhile, Boimler, now a Lieutenant Junior Grade, is in the midst of all sorts of harrowing space action adventures under the command of Captain William T. Riker aboard the USS Titan. Heather, first of all, oh my god, I want to serve on the Titan. I want to serve on the (laughs) Titan so much. It looks awesome. Uh, Yes, it it it. They're they're having a lot of harrowing adventures over on the Titan. Uh, but one of the best parts I loved about this Boimler's story here in uh, Kayshawn, His Eyes Open, is that he really highlights uh, the diversity of Starfleet and that it's not just a military organization as... Like him and his crew end up going undercover on the mining planet uh, so they can plant a bug on the the Packlids shuttle, which I don't think they end up actually doing because <laughs> things go awry. But he he reminds all of them that Starfleet is more about uh, just shooting the bad guy. And, you know, that he got into Starfleet to explore and discover new things. And then uh, they all get a little bit of a reminder as to 
why they got into Starfleet. And the one girl says to study moss and the other one says for beaming. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it's a reminder that is, I, I think it, it's very much a reminder to everyone watching that as much as we love the action and the fighting of Star Trek, that uh, Starfleet is so much more than that. And I really like that. I absolutely agree. Um, Probably not too many string quartets on the Titan, though. Probably not a lot of string quartets. And, and that is one thing that I did say uh, about that particular scene where the crew of the Titan were on the shuttle and it was kind of like, yeah, the Enterprise D at times was a little, was a little stuffy. It was a little stuffed up. It, it was a bit of a, uh, I, I had always heard it described as, like a a luxury hotel and convention center in space. And yeah, it was a little bit like that. And was it a little slow and dry at times? Yeah, it was. But we're seeking life in new civilizations, and, and that's what it's all about. And occasionally you do get into some phaser fights, and that's that can be exciting too. It's It's what makes... Starfleet, Starfleet. It's why we love Starfleet, after all. Uh, also, uh, Kayshawn, Lieutenant Kayshawn, I was just so amused with him having problems trying to use the Universal Translator to communicate while occasionally going back into the metaphorical language, especially when he was at 10 forward and tried to pick up a girl. I just thought that was just <laughs> the funniest scene. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's one of those that reminds you that the, the Universal Translator isn't perfect, you know, and I, I just, I love... I, I want to see more of him, and I hope we do, um, even though Shax is back now. I hope we get to see more of uh, Lieutenant Kayshawn, because it, it, it's one thing that will make his character just special, is just those metaphors interplaced through, amongst the conversation. Just when he can't think of the right word, he says the metaphor instead. Um, that, that was a great introduction to his character and one that's going to make him really unique going forward. David nodding his head. <laughs> okay. So next episode was episode three. We'll always have Tom Paris. Boimler is back on the Cerritos because Star Trek reasons, but is having a few issues reacclimating himself. And since Tendi and Mariner go on a girl's trip away mission for something for uh, Dr. Tiana, and <laughs> and we're going to talk about that in a minute, too. And Rutherford finds out a terrible, terrible truth about the senior officers on a star trip on a starship. This episode had a lot going on, didn't it? I mean, this is, I think this is one of the first Lower Decks episodes that actually had an A, B, and C plot. So, um, yeah, a lot going on. But, you know, I loved all of it. I think it was so much fun. Um, I love, can we start with Mariner and Tendi's girls trip? Because Absolutely. That was fantastic. Um, just the two of them like going off together and realizing that they don't really know each other as well as they thought they did. Um, it, it, it was very relatable in a way because, you know, you work with someone and you think you're really good friends and you realize, no, I don't really know anything about them. Uh, but it really did give them a chance to bond and get to know each other better, ultimately. Um, I love learning more about Orion culture. Like, Lower Decks is the first series since <sighs> Enterprise, I guess. We learned a lot about Orions and Enterprise. It's the first series since Enterprise where we really get to delve into Orion culture and 
uh, what you, you really get to understand what makes Tindy tick and why she wanted to leave that culture behind and that, that that's just not the person she is. And she wanted to be something different than what she could be on her own planet in her own culture. And I think that's something that's really special about her character that you just really didn't get to fully appreciate until you saw her immersed in it in this episode. So I, I really, really enjoyed that. I can honestly say that was really good because seeing Ensign Tendi and seeing her really kind of play up the stereotypical Orion side and her not being comfortable with doing that was something that a lot of people can really relate to where you have to put up appearances in, in certain places with certain people. Also, just the fact that this all started on just the most absurd plot device imaginable that they had to get a box for Dr. Tiana <laughs> and they were worried about breaking what was inside. It, it, it is like the most sitcom thing ever. And, and I absolutely loved it. Like it was so nineties <laughs> sitcom in. I, I was I was laughing from start to finish, uh, especially with how it ended, and and that was just, it really made it. And I know Heather, you being a cat person, <laughs> definitely could have appreciated how that episode ended. Uh, I absolutely loved it. I mean, when she was just like, "Oh no, I didn't need that old post. I just needed the box." And that scene with her <laughs> jumping in and out of the box and her eyes so wide. Oh my God, it was a very, 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 very obvious and typical um, cat thing to do and shows that Cations really are. Uh, They're space -like. kitties. <laughs> They're space kitties, definitely. You know, I, I was it. thinking, like, it actually totally swerved me because I was thinking that the the head, whatever it was that broke, was actually going to be like a scratching post or something. That's what I was thinking. Well, you know, I, like as soon as they did that, um, it it kind of made sense because I mean, like Tendi recognized it as like a Cation libido post or whatever, but it could also be like a male female thing where like the males use the post for their whatevers <laughs> and the females use the box which was why Dr. Ta'ana was like oh no I didn't need the post she just needed the box <laughs> so it, it, it definitely it, it made complete sense to me that you know that that's still an heirloom it's just it wasn't what was important to her right then because that wasn't she just needed the box. <laughs> well, sometimes all you need is a is a wide enough box. Uh, but back to this episode, uh, we cannot go without mentioning the fact that Boimler was having problems on the Cerritos. And also, the man making his cameo guest appearance, returning to Star Trek... Robert Duncan McNeil reprising his role as Tom Paris. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, you know, that was perfect. It, it was a perfect cameo for Lower Decks. Um, especially, I loved when Boimler, like, falls out of the ceiling onto the bridge and Paris mistakes him as a Kazon and just attacks him. Um, it's <laughs> It was a very Paris thing to do. Um, I, I I think having uh, McNeil come back as Paris, it, it it's one of those things where it it was just like oh, I don't know how to say this to not insult. It was people. it was silly, but not too silly. Yeah, it was silly, but not too silly, and it was uh, a, a perfect like. 
say if it, if it was like Janeway in that position instead of Paris, it would have come off as ridiculous. Yeah, what, yeah that wouldn't have worked. Be- but because it was Paris, it worked. You know, like I, I read a review from one of the, the fan news sites who absolutely hated this episode because because they thought uh, Paris's cameo was ridiculous. And I'm just like, okay. Yes, cool. it was ridiculous. That's it the point. It was ridiculous. And I can see where someone who's like a diehard Tom Paris fan might be offended by that. But in general, I, it, it worked. It worked for Lower Decks. It worked for his character. And it was a really nice way to bring him back and have him in involved so i i I liked it so what do we think happened to lieutenant shacks or or do we just not want to know you know first off i just um i really miss that big grumpy bajoran sitting there calling Rutherford baby bear. Like that just made my heart swell. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I miss Shax and I'm glad they brought him back. And I love that they kind of address like the fact that science fiction characters get brought back all the time on Star Trek from the dead. And nobody really quite understands why. Um, I love that they address that head on. Um, I I like I, that. I like that a running theme so far in season two is the phrase "sci-fi stuff." Yeah. I've become a really big fan of that, and that's going to be my answer to a lot of things. Now it's just, it's just sci-fi stuff. Yeah, so I I, I love so much of that. Um, I'm not quite sure where they're going to go from there because it it was clearly something deep, dark, and disturbing that Shaq shared with Rutherford. And um, I have a feeling it's going to be brought up again, but I have no idea what it's going to be revealed as. So I'm not quite sure where they're going with it, but I like what they did with it. I'm I'm looking forward to more sci-fi stuff from Lower Decks. I really am. If that becomes a running theme of just, instead of trying to lore explain everything that one of the Lower Deckers says, it was just some sci-fi stuff, man, move on. I'm totally okay with that. Because I know there will be people that are not okay with that, and I don't care. (laughs) I just don't. I don't. Uh, okay. Upcoming business, Heather. Uh, we got an announcement, an early announcement for Star Trek Prodigy that the two villains have been revealed. Uh, the Diviner will be played by John Noble. Yes. Now you, you did come running in, in our DM about this one. Yes. Um, I, well, I'm, I'm excited for both of those. So, uh, both John Noble and Jimmy Simpson are fantastic actors. John Noble is such a legendary, um, genre actor, uh, known for huge sci-fi roles, fantasy roles, um, just to have him as a part of the Star Trek universe. Uh, on Prodigy just keeps getting me more and more and more excited for this show. Um, It's, I I can't wait. I can't wait. (laughs) It is so exciting to have him as the villain and it's going to be fantastic. And Jimmy Simpson, I know from Westworld, uh, he was so fantastic in Westworld and I'm excited to see what he's going to do with John Noble as our two main villains of Prodigy. Um, it, it, I'm pumped. I just keep getting more and more pumped for Prodigy, and I didn't expect to be this excited for this show. And it just keeps getting me more and more and more excited. I cannot that, wait. That is fantastic. It really is. Uh, also, Jimmy Jimmy Simpson will be playing... Uh, the Diviner's Enforcer, Dreadnought. Uh, and yeah, that's... I'm so excited for you. I'm really excited for you. 
Uh, I'm glad that Prodigy is really getting you this excited, and there is something for everyone to look forward to in Prodigy. I'm still kind of waiting to see a little more, personally. Uh, everything I've seen has been intriguing, uh, but I'm 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 interested in seeing more. I, I'm waiting for Prodigy to give me a spark. The same way Lower Decks did, the same way Picard has, and the same way Discovery has. Uh, but I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that it'll come. And maybe it'll come on September 8th for Star Trek Day, where Star Trek will be live from the Skirball Cultural Center in Los Angeles. And they're going to be doing a big thing there at that convention center. There's going to be an orchestra playing music from Star Trek. There's going to be conversations with cast members. I'm guessing from all across the entire franchise. I'm starting to think George Takei has been doing a lot lately. Is it just me or he's been everywhere lately? He's been doing a lot. Uh, also, I I'm just going to go ahead and say it. we have to get some announcements on Star Trek Day on September 8th, right? There have to oh, be yes. some announcements. Oh, yes. I, I, I mean, I honestly, the biggest thing I'm hoping for is a Prodigy premiere date. <laughs> like, they say it's coming in the fall. It, it, it's September, September the 8th. It's like, give me a Prodigy premiere date. I think we will get a lot of Prodigy. Um, I think we will definitely get some Discovery Season 4 announcements. Um you know, everyone keeps clamoring for a Strange New Worlds trailer. It could happen. But part of me still doesn't want that to happen. Like, I want the anticipation to keep going up for that. I don't want to see anything from Strange New Worlds. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm over here just like, can we get something on Discovery Season 4? Like, yeah. No, I, I definitely think we'll get more on discovery season four and we'll get more on prodigy because those two are coming first. Um, so, but as, like we, we're talking about excitement levels. Like I, I'm always the most excited for the newest season of discovery because discovery is my top, my love, my heart, my everything. But this is how excited I am for prodigy. My excitement level is almost as, high as for discovery like it, it's getting there like i that's how pumped i am for this show i want a premiere date i want a premiere date it's got to come on september the 8th that is the main thing that i'm expecting from star trek day give us a star trek prodigy premiere date please i i along with discovery i feel like season two of star trek picard is the one that I think I want to see the most because I don't think it's much of a secret. Star Trek Picard season one was met with some mixed reviews, kind of in the same way as discovery season one. It was, it was mixed kind of like a lot of season ones of Star Trek. The, the reviews were mixed. I feel like Star Trek, Star Trek Picard season two really kind of has to bring its a game and i'm excited for that I, I want to see what they will do with star trek picard season two just to see how they are going to expand on what they have built not just for the sake of q but what are they going to do with the rest of these characters also star trek discovery is just for the lack of a better term, it is the flagship. It is the flagship of this current era of Star Trek. We need Discovery to have some carry. It is in its fourth season. I think we need Star Trek Discovery to, to have its six seasons and a movie run. And maybe a little bit more than that. And I am always excited for more Star Trek Discovery because it is the flagship. And... Yes, Heather, I'm sorry. I do kind of want to see something for Strange New Worlds. Just because it is so wrapped in mystery. It is the show we know the least about. 
that's kind of why I'm interested because we know so little about it. When it came to the other shows premiering, we kind of had an idea of what it was going to be. And people are saying that they know what Strange New Worlds is going to be, but we're still not really sure. And it just, it feels mysterious, that show. And I just like a little something on Strange New Worlds. Okay, so here is why I don't want a damn thing on Strange New Worlds. Because <laughs> people have... have approach this show with their expectations of what they want it to be. Okay. I don't want to trash people's expectations before the show even premieres. I want it to continue with people having certain expectations for it. And then when we finally see the show, I am going to be the one who is evil and sits back and laughs her ass off when their expectations are completely blown out of the water. Give in to the darkness, Heather. Give in to the darkness. Let the hate flow through you. (laughs) That's what I want. It's not hate. It's my love of our current... Alex Kurtzman still isn't fired era of Star Trek where I want people with their lofty expectations saying strange new worlds is going to be like nineties Trek or sixties Trek and then really get blown out of their mind when it's not actually that. Yes. I do think it's still going to be serialized Trek um, or like, Serial, the serialize isn't the word I'm looking for. Uh, episodic. Episodic, yes. Yes, I do think it's going to be episodic, Trek. But it's not going to be exactly the way people think it is. Because this is 2021. It is not the 1990s anymore. They're not going to have the exact same type of Star Trek that they had in the nineties. And if you're or going the 60s, to this, or the sixties, or the sixties, let's 60s. just throw that out there. And if you're going into this show expecting to see that on screen, you're gonna be disappointed. And I honestly think that's why they will keep as much of this show a secret as long as possible because they want people to keep that expectation. Because that's what they're expecting for that sh- this show. And when it doesn't meet their expectations, my ass is going to be over in the corner laughing hysterically. I'm going to love it. I'm going to love the show. I'm going to love watching the show. But I'm going to be over in the corner laughing hysterically at everyone losing their minds. I'm just saying. I'll probably be laughing there with you because <laughs> the only thing that I'm expecting from this show is that it will be an episodic sci-fi series in 2021. And for me, that's perfectly fine. There will be a woman that will be the first officer. I'm totally cool with that. I am 100% cool with that. There will be some people out there that are not. And well, fuck them. That's what I have to say about that. I guess because I'm a little bit more optimistic about the series. I feel like it's good that it's being made right now in 2021 with this crew behind it, with a lot of the people that made this era of Star Trek making this show. And I think with the foundation of Star Trek, it's why I've always said I feel like this show could be very special because I feel like we're getting the best of both worlds here. We're getting the things that made modern Star Trek interesting and compelling, the characters, the high production value. But at the same time, they're pulling something from what made people latch on to Star Trek in the first place. And that is the stories that you can tell 
in an episodic format. I really feel like we're getting the best of both worlds here. And I am excited at it being nothing like something from the 60s and nothing like something from the 90s. That excites me. I hope it's, I hope that's what it is. I hope that it is the most forward thinking progressive Star Trek it can possibly be. I, that's what I hope for. And if you have a problem with that, guess what? You don't understand Star Trek at all. And bring on September 8th. And, and it's right before my birthday too. Um, we'll be right on time for episode 37. Man, it's, it's going to be perfect. It's, it's so perfect. I, I feel like I'm getting a birthday present, an early birthday present from Star Trek. I'm, I'm so excited. <laughs> we are definitely going to have a lot to talk about in the next episode. Thanks to Star Trek day. That is for certain. And we want to wish all of you a very early, happy Star Trek day. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Promenade Merchants podcast. We are an independent Star Trek podcast. We are the scrappy underdogs of Star Trek podcasts, and we are damn proud of it. I'm David Majors. Once again, Heather Kirby, tell everybody what you got going on. Uh, nothing too exciting. <laughs> well, where can they follow you? You can where can follow. they see you? T- where can they see you talking about SVU and Benedict Cumberbatch? <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at NerdyGal33 uh, because never apologize for being nerdy. And I'm a huge nerd, and I will rant and ramble about whatever I want to, just like I rant and ramble about Star Trek on this podcast. So follow me there. And you can follow the podcast at From Trek Pod on Twitter. That's prom for promenade, P-R-O-M, Trek Pod on the Twitter Twitter. And hey, if you feel so inclined, want to write something out a little bit more, send us an email at promenadetrekpod at gmail.com. I do check that email, everybody. So if you want to send us an email and tell me how wrong I am for liking Cybok, by all means, by all means, it's totally fine. I, I embrace the conversation. I really do. And you can always tweet us at PromTrekPod on Twitter. So for Heather Kirby, I'm David Majors. Thank you for listening. Get hyped for Star Trek Day. Walk with the prosper and live long and profits. Mm-hmm.